Let me go ahead and first off apologize to Bob, because normally you'd have Blake, and unfortunately you have me. And I'm a sorry excuse for Blake. Um, cool, right on. Um, we like we, we like varied perspectives. Varying perspectives. <laughs> yeah, you'll have it. Um, so. Uh, aside from that, let me also preface that uh, uh, it's been a very rough week for me, and this is probably more underprepared than it should be, and I'm apologizing for that, and I'm hoping that the Lord will use my words as uh, scatterbrained as they may be um, to communicate this text to you guys, because um, truthfully, this is probably my favorite text that I've been handed, like that I didn't choose, that I got handed. Um, the last section of Hebrews I did, it was, I, I think I even said it, it was like, this is difficult, and it's probably, I would not choose to do this if I had a choice, which I did, but I just said, let's do it anyway. <laughs> um, so the section of scripture that we're going to be going through today is Hebrews 12, 18 through 29. Um, earlier this week, I, I, Thursday morning, I, I chose to listen to a message from another pastor around here, Heath, at Grace Church, and he was going over, uh, the title of it was called The Mountaineer and the Calf, because they're trendy over there, and they give it really cool <laughs> names. Um, but that being said, he is a very gifted preacher, and he does his homework, and I love listening to him. Um, and a likelihood of him ever listening to this is very poor, but if he does, I'd like to say thank you. <laughs> um, and I'm sorry. Um, but in that section, so what we're going to be going over today in Hebrews, and the reason I mention that is because we're going to be dealing with some of Mount Sinai, which is what his section was over. Uh, specifically, we're going to be dealing with a recollection of Mount Sinai and then a call to look towards the new mountain, the new covenant, Mount Zion. Uh, and what he mentioned in there and why it was so helpful to me is he mentioned something that I'd actually never heard before, which is kind of embarrassing. And I think most of us have probably heard something, parts of it, but never heard the title or the fullness of it. But what was called, and forgive my pronunciation because it's probably wrong, but a Caesarean vassal covenant or a vassal treaty. Uh, this was an ancient near practice of uh, kings or conquering lords uh, making a treaty with the people that they had conquered or neighboring kingdoms that were weaker than them, saying, I will protect you and you can be part of my kingdom so long as you abide by A, B, and C. Um, at the end of this thing, it would have this preamble where it would say, I, high king of whatever, said to this person and you shall follow my laws. And here are the blessings if you follow my laws. Here are the curses if you don't follow my laws. Uh, this is important because the old covenant at Mount Sinai resembles this greatly. And also the new covenant, which I'm going to get into later, but I just want this kind of in your mind. There's this idea of, of a king, God, high king of all, calling an oppressed people group to himself, taking them out of the land of Egypt, and saying, I will be your God, and you will be my people if you follow these guidelines. And the new covenant also follows these lines as well, but there's a difference in that the new covenant, instead of God allowing any of it to rest on us, he says, I will put my law in your heart, and I will make you my people. So 
So with that being said, um, I know it's kind of like a very basic overview of that and everything, but I'm going to read through this. I'll explain some more of it here in a minute, and then we'll get into the message. So let me uh, go ahead and read it. So it's Hebrews 12, 18 through 29. It says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given to them. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, Indeed, I, or, yeah, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, and the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn, who are, are enrolled in heaven, and to, the God, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when, uh, when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates that the removal of things that are shaken, that is, the things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let me pray. Father, um, Fill my anxious mind and gather my thoughts for me. And, and if not that, please let your word uh, not return void. Let, let me believe that promise and let us believe that promise that as we hear this, we may be doers of the word and not hearers only. Please use me. And if you want to use me as a fool, use me as a fool. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. So this, this section, this whole group, this is the writer of Hebrews calls to, re, to these people that are considering returning to Judaism, to returning to the old ways, to returning to what's comfortable. It's his call to recollect what the old covenant was, a reminder of what that old covenant was, what they would be returning to, and then to warn them. He brings up this idea, and what we have here, I guess what you call my first point is we have two mountains. We have Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. And what he does is he contrasts them, and he makes it a very vivid contrast. When you read it, it's the very same thing that's said in Exodus. It says, For you have not come to what may be touched. So you have not come to a physical mountain. You've not come to a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest. You haven't come to what is fearful. The sound of trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg for no further messages. This is a terrifying idea, right? This is terrifying. Like, you've come up to Mount Sinai. You've been led out of Egypt through very miraculous means, and, and you're at the base of this mountain that looks like a volcano going off, right? I mean, if you've ever seen, like, pictures of volcanoes going off, they're wild. Like, there's lightning, there's fire, there's gloom, there's smoke. He's saying, that's not what you've come to. You haven't come to what may be touched. 
you haven't come to a place that where the Lord said, if even a beast approaches this, stone it. What's he communicating to him by saying this? You haven't come to a fearful, unapproachable place. Mount Sinai was unapproachable. The holiness of God was there at the top of the mountain. It was surrounded with gloom. It looked like a volcano, and only one man was allowed to go up. He's reminding them of the establishment of the old covenant. The whole point of Mount Sinai was God sitting there in the suzerain, you got the word, (laughs) treaty, this vassal treaty coming between one man, Moses, and the high king, the representative being Moses of the entire people and saying, if you want to be my people, you're going to abide by my covenant. And I promise I will protect you, but you must abide by all the words of these law or you will be cursed, right? He brings this up because clearly the people of Israel throughout the entirety of the Old Testament have constantly gone astray, constantly been cursed. There, I mean, there's blessings, but there's constant curses as well. He does this, and he wants to make it look so unappealing, so fearful, so, so like, I mean, I'm not going up to a volcano, and I can't think of anything in Florida that... I don't go up to a rattlesnake or I call them snake dens like, or snake pits, like, you know, those big scrub palms. Like, if that was on fire with snakes writhing in it and jumping out at me, that would be kind of, guess, what I would think of with that. But I don't want to return to that, right? Because you're calling the fear of the old covenant and the, the, um, the workload of the old law. He contrasts this with Mount Zion, And what we have with Mount Zion is we have complete approachability. He says, I'm getting old. (laughs) Um, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to a city on a mountain, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn. That's the church, by the way. Um who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. We look at this mountain contrasted. We look at Mount Zion contrasted with Mount Sinai. And what's the first thing we see? Not only is only one man not allowed, like there's one man going up it, but like we see everyone on it. We see a city. We see the new Jerusalem. We see God himself. We see the spirits of those passed on. We see the living, and we see all of his heavenly hosts. And they're all on this mountain waiting for the gathering and the mediation of a new covenant, right? It's contrasted as well that it's not a physical place, it's a spiritual place. And what he's communicating here, again, is the, how approachable this is opposed to the old covenant. This isn't stay back with fear. It's come in and be part of this. We see the establishment of a better sacrifice for a new covenant. So getting back to the Suceran Treaty, at the end of the treaty, what would happen, and what we've all probably heard before and taught before is the establishing of a covenant. And what they would do in ancient near practice is they would take animals, they'd cut them in half, they'd put them, I'm a big guy, so that far apart 
It'd be far enough apart so that both the high king and the lesser king or the vassal servants, they could walk side by side through it. What was this representing? It was representing that if either of them did not keep what they said they were going to do, if either of them did not abide by the treaty they had said, they said, may it be as these animals. May we be torn. If I, if I don't bless you for what you have done, and if I don't curse you for what you have not done or what you have done contrary to what I said, may I be as these animals. May you be as these animals if you break my covenant. We see at the end of this section, it says, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We see that Jesus at the, at the Last Supper, right, when he's establishing the Lord's Supper, the, the communion, he says, this is my body broken for you for the new covenant, and this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. The sacrifice of the new covenant is not animals, it's God himself. And not only is his blood, and this is, this is what I've tried to think of it, because it's, it's not really part of the old covenant, but this statement of his blood speaks a better word than Abel's. I really tried to think about this, and what I studied and what I come to the conclusion of is that Abel, when killed, and God says, your brother, brother's blood speaks to me, calls for justice. Abel's blood spoke for vengeance, avenge me, make things right. Jesus' blood of the new covenant says, innocent things are made right. And why is he reminded of this? Why is he making, taking such great pains to show this stark contrast between what was old and what is new, what is lesser and what is greater? He does this because, as we've seen throughout the book of Hebrews, we have people that are thinking of returning to what was lesser. Earlier on in this book, he said, if we return to like, those sacrifices, there no longer remains a sacrifice. In Galatians, there's, there's this statement that says, uh, he's cursed whoever does not keep every word of the book of the law. That's Sam paraphrase. It's not <laughs> exact. Um, he's reminding them that the curses of that lesser covenant are not greater than the blessings. Or sorry, no, no, sorry. The blessings of the lesser covenant are not greater than the curses of the lesser covenant. So he says all this and he moves into the second point, which is to take heed. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. This isn't necessarily all like a happy, warm, feeling passage. There's a lot of encouragement, and there's, there's this call to be, to be part of something, to be part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken, to be part of a kingdom where all are welcome and where you, it is approachable, where we are not held at arm's length from God. But he does say, just like with the old covenant, just like the old treaty between the conquered individuals and, and the high king, there are curses and blessings with this covenant. It says, At the time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will, 
shake not only earth but also the heavens. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of all things that has been shaken. That is, the things that have been made, or the things that cannot be shaken may remain. He brings this up. It's the blessing. It's the blessing of the new covenant. We have this oppressed people group. Now not the Jews, but the, the early Christians who are being taken from their homes and stoned, and they are outcasts, and they are being excommunicated by their families, and they're not allowed in the temple. He's saying, if you stay with this, if you stay with the spiritual kingdom, sure, you cannot touch it, but it's so much greater then one day the spiritual will be reality. And that covenant, unlike the old covenant, is eternal. He's trying to remind them of the greatness of the blessings of this new covenant. That is eternal kingdom inheritance forever and ever. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> right? But he doesn't end there. He says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. That's the curse. I don't think it's this kind of... There's, there's other places in Scripture where it does talk about God being a consuming fire where we're offering worship up to Him. I don't think that's the case here. He's speaking of the removal of all things, and if you do not... Obey him now. If you do not take part of this treaty, this covenant, this ceasefire and peace forever and ever, then our God is a consuming fire. He's reminding them that there are real consequences to rejecting this new covenant. And then he just leaves it to the imagination. Our God is a consuming fire. Um, he says this to people that are like first century AD, right? We are not first century AD. We're not being taken from our homes. We're not being dragged. We're not being beheaded in the Middle East. We're not um, being burned at the stake and being excommunicated by our families. I mean, some people are, but most likely none of us have, right? Um, but he's communicating to a people that are thinking of returning to their old ways, um, to what is lesser and what cannot save. And uh, how does that look for us? How does that look when, how do we imp, imp, uh, imp, no, so close, empathize. empathize, there we go. How do we empathize with these, with these people? How do we take this book and what he's saying right here and, and look at it in such a way that we can go, okay, I understand. Um, man, I don't know about you, but I've been in some rough spots the last year, actually the last three years, so. I think everyone but Bob knows. My wife has had a very difficult time. She's uh, chronically ill. And, um, and, and I'm, everyone else has their stuff as well, I'm, I'm sure. But I'm using me as an example. Uh, there have definitely been times where it's just like, man, like, 
forget it, <laughs> right? Like, I've been praying, I've been doing this, and, and God has not answered, right? Like, God did not heal my wife. Um, he has not made her healthy yet. And, and he may not, but uh, it's definitely led to those questions, right? Like, so, okay, I've done what I'm supposed to do, right? Like, I've, I've sat here and I've, I, I've so far ran this race as faithfully as I can think of. Um, or as faithful as you guys can think of. Well, not me. I don't know what your standard of faithfulness is to me, but um, it, it's for us when we sit here and we think and we go, what if it's just better if, like, I say, forget all of it. I, I, I renounce the Christian faith. I take it easy. I go and make as much money as I can, as hard as I can. I go and live as wildly and promiscuously as I can. And at the end of the day, whatever. Or the people that we've known like that. Like, I remember a girl in high school, and um, she wanted so badly to make her own mistakes. That was a statement she told everyone. She said, I have to make my own mistakes. Um, and, and she left, and, and she lived as promiscuously as she can, and, and she did as many drugs as she could, and she... Um, wasted her life as best as she could. Thankfully, God was faithful and pulled her back. But for many of us, and for many people who do profess Christianity, we don't come back. We leave and we find that we do have a taste for sin and that we love it. And that it's easier to live that way. That's what this passage is for us. It's for us who are thinking, uh, for me, let's see, uh, 16-year-old Sam, uh, see, getting drunk or super high every day and uh, not caring for anything in this world except that I was going to be in a band and I was going to be super rad. And truthfully, like, sometimes I think of that, like, when things get so hard here, sometimes I think, man, that is, that sounds appealing right now. This is a stark, deep warning to that part of me that says that sounds super appealing. Take heed. Be grateful. You're part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And if not, our God is a consuming fire. There's going to be a real consequence if I reject that. There's a real consequence if any of you reject that. And this is a covenant not made with just one people. It's with the whole earth. It's open. He calls all. He says, hey, come be a part of my kingdom. And if not, I'm a consuming fire. And this will end. So what do we go with today? What, what do we, um, I mean, I guess I kind of just went over it, but take heed. Remind yourselves. Be grateful. Offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Pray. Know there are real consequences to our decisions. I mean, I don't care which side of the aisle you take, whether Calvinist or Armenian. I mean, I know where I fall. Um, but somehow it, it, it meets, and our decisions do matter. And our decision to remain faithful matters. So remind yourself, take heed, pray for faithfulness. What's, uh, I can't remember the exact verse, but there's a section in Luke where the disciple, or it might be Mark, but there's, the disciples are, speaking to Jesus, and they say, increase our faith. 
Or there's that section in Mark. It's Mark 9.24 with the daughter. He says, if you will, you can heal him. He says, if you will. He says, um, I believe, help my unbelief, right? Those need to be our prayers, especially in times when we're sitting here and things are so bad that we're going, maybe it's just better if I just cut loose. Because currently right now it's not, maybe it's just better if I convert to Islam or I convert to Buddhism or I become an atheist. Right now it's a matter of keeping the principles of the new covenant, which is faith in God. Uh, Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for your word and your kingdom, which cannot be shaken, and the inheritance you've given us and the address you've called us sons and daughters. Increase our faith. Increase our ability to comprehend the untouchable, yet approachable. Um, Please bless our week and bless our hearing and bless our time and draw us and incline us to you. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen.